At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plants, it's time to Hemp Resent. Our radio resident Hempo Sapien, Vivian McPeak, will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to Hemp Resent about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. Welcome to the Hemp Present Resistance, the weekly radio podcast where you can get your PhD in THC because you don't just want to burn it, you want to learn it. Seeking to defeat the alternative facts of prohibition one interview at a time and advocating for the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plant. Join me for a weekly reefer radio rebellion against prohibition as I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers and shakers, and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture, and reform movement. I'm your host, Vivian McPeak. I am the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest. In its 27th year, founded HempFest.org. I'm also the author of the book Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle HempFest from AHA Publishing, also founded HempFest.org. Today's guest on HempPresent is cannabis activist and entrepreneur Chris Morwood, who is already on the line. I live and work here in Seattle, Washington, which in 2012 was one of the first two states in the U.S. to legalize, tax, and regulate cannabis in defiance of federal law. Just up the street from where I am doing this show today, there are brick-and-mortar retail cannabis stores. You walk in, show your ID to prove that you're 21 years of age, and walk up to the counter where a bud tender greets you, asking what it is you are looking for. On the walls, from top to bottom are racks on the floor display cases all brimming with various selections of dried manicured cannabis there are also hundreds of tubes filled with free rolled joints and small containers of various forms of cannabis extracts including dabs oil shatter and so forth and in that sense life is good but it's become so routine now to drive by these pot shops more pot shops in some cities than 7-Eleven stores that it's already become hard for many young people to recall a time when cannabis was an illicit black market contraband here. I worked 30 years to see this kind of change, and full disclosure, I'm still highly dissatisfied. There is a cannabis complacency that has evolved within many folks in these, quote, legal states. There's a sense that cannabis is legal here, so the struggle is over. Well, I call bullshit. 
Even though we have made historic advances and have celebrated game-changing victories, it is time for us all to learn to multitask and continue to struggle for reform and to advocate for Americans while still languishing in jails and prisons. While we simultaneously work to build and develop a global cannabis industry, that industry must be based upon a foundation of social and racial equity, environmental sustainability and health awareness, and other ethical and responsible business practices, which brings me to my guest today. Chris Morwood is the co-author of Hannah Hemp and Cali Cannabis. Ms. Morwood's background includes work in standards development for the cannabis and hemp industries, community relations and charitable donations, and board service for numerous nonprofits. As a consumer, she is an advocate for responsible consumption, legalizing medical or adult use in emerging markets, and fostering best practices of corporate social responsibility. And Shazam, she's with me right this minute. Welcome, Chris, to Cannabis Radio. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Let's just start off with asking how and when you were initially introduced to cannabis. Well, I was in middle school and I had my best friend had an older sibling who had some cannabis. I was 14. I was also a Mormon and I was painfully shy. Um, I found that it made me a little more outgoing. And I also found it to be a safer alternative to alcohol. Alcoholism runs in my family. My father was an alcoholic. My sister is an alcoholic. So I didn't want to go down that path. So uh, that was my introduction. I just have to say that other than the Mormon part, that is just strikingly similar (laughs) to my entire story, including a friend in middle school and my dad being an alcoholic. So that's, uh, of course, you know, we're from the same generation, so I shouldn't be real surprised. Um, You are an organizational management consultant, and in your bio, you cite proficiency in the development, marketing, promotion, and management of campaigns that blend corporate responsibility, public relations, and profitability in equal emphasis. What would corporate responsibility translate to in regard to the cannabis industry? What best practices, uh, in your mind, would be specifically pertinent to business entities involved in the cannabis industry? Well, there are no best practices per se, and we are still working on standards for the industry. Um, Corporate social responsibility is uh, boiled down. It is doing well by doing good. Um, A public relations campaign, which is about the only thing that cannabis companies are allowed to do, is tout the wonderful things that they are doing for the world. Um, We don't hear in the media all the positives about the cannabis industry Um, in Colorado, just like in Seattle and up in uh, Oregon and Washington. We were one of the first, we were the first to legalize on an adult use basis. So the job growth, the fact that we have 2.4% unemployment, um, we have organizations that are donating products, um, financial support in volunteer hours. Uh, We have a booming tourism industry. Our real estate industry is through the roof. So um, those are the positives. As far as the profitability part of it, obviously many of those things are great. However, cannabis is not for everyone, and we're not requesting that everybody use cannabis. We're just simply hoping that um, we have some of the same privileges that the other industries like big pharma, big tobacco, alcohol are afforded. So um, since they can't advertise, um, occasionally, you know, they've been successful in being able to sponsor events, but for the most part, they are shut out of advertising altogether. 
which is true in my state. Um, you also cite developing a social investment network to connect those interested in furthering education on the responsible consumption of cannabis and the benefits of hemp-derived products. What is a social investment network? Uh, a social investment network is basically working together to expand opportunities. It's community relations. It's strengthening neighborhoods and improving quality of life um, by providing access to capital, to possibly employing some of the people that live in those neighborhoods. In Colorado, we are required to grow indoors, which means we have squeezed into areas um, that are not as diverse uh, as they should be. And those residents are feeling the squeeze in their real estate, in their rental prices. Um, and additionally, um, it's quite unjust in the fact that a lot of these people are disqualified from working in the industry um, because they may have a prior record due to cannabis. And so with a social investment network, it's going into the community um, by creating uh, strategic partners, by participating in community initiative efforts. Um, and that includes, you know, education, recreation, um, health and food access. Um, it's just building those bridges and developing good partnerships. So, you know, in a way, it's it's engaging and communicating with stakeholders in the community, uh, so you can balance their interests with the business interests. Right? Is that accurate? Yep, absolutely. And there are some great firms here in Colorado that do just that. Um, there's there some people donate their time and project, you know, for projects. Some do employee contributions, but there's this little rule in the IRS tax code for cannabis-specific businesses. And what that is, is that's 280E, which prevents businesses from deducting any ordinary business expenses. And so, unfortunately, a lot of times people will not be um, akin to accepting help from cannabis businesses as well as you know, different nonprofits that uh, they try and and donate to. Um, and that's unfortunate because a oil and gas company can donate $25,000 to a children's hospital fundraiser, yet because of the lack of banking in the cannabis industry, children's hospital could not accept a cash donation that smelled like cannabis from a cannabis company. And so there's a real fear of those nonprofits losing their status, um, and so also the, the communities, um, that are doing good work in these areas, you know, may feel that it doesn't align with their organizational goals. So it's, it, while a lot of community organizations would love to be able to be helped by the cannabis taxes or by cannabis participation from the industry, some of them don't allow it. I just want to state for the record for everyone listening that I actually can accept a cash donation that smells like cannabis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and of course, 280E forcing these businesses to deal in cash results in them, number one, being very vulnerable to, uh, uh, to crime, to being robbed, right? Uh, yeah. And, and of course, it, it also invites uh, corruption and, and money laundering and stuff like that. Uh, but but more importantly, uh, it means that the government is receiving sometimes up to twice as much taxes from these businesses as they would from any other businesses. Is that, is that right? 
Absolutely. Um, in Colorado, we have a 15% excise tax on, um, on it goes to building schools. So it's uh, the first $40 million um, is a capital fund. Anything over than that goes into the public school fund. There's a 2.9% sales tax on retail cannabis. There's a 2.9% sales tax on medical cannabis. And then there's a 10% special fund marijuana cash fund that um, about 85% of that goes to the Department of Ag, the Department of Education, the governor's special fund. And a lot of that treatment, get this, not for cannabis-related addictions, but for opiate addiction, for for methamphetamine, for pharmaceutical addictions. So it's interesting that the state receives a great deal of cash from um, the industry in marijuana taxes. We approved Amendment 64. Um, and so a lot of these businesses are almost paying up to 70% of their, their income, and they're not able to write any of this off, and yet they're paying exorbitant amounts of taxes. And uh, it's just, it's not fair. It needs to be um, regulated like alcohol. You are the author of Hannah Hemp and Callie and Friends, a parenting and family educational resource about responsible cannabis use in the history of hemp. What can you tell us about that project? Why children's books about hemp and cannabis? Well, after legalization in Colorado, um, we voted it in in 2012 and we, uh, we implemented it in 2014. I had been working for about a year in the cannabis sector and I approached a friend of mine who had worked um, in the school system and she and I both have adult children and we were kind of lamenting about the fact that there was a lack of credible or factual information about cannabis. And um, we had uh, encountered an illustrator that we really liked and we decided to write a little narrative about cannabis, basically a one-on-one information that is at an easy to digest level. Um, we followed that book up and we just came out at the beginning of this year in 2018 with Hannah Hemp. And Hannah Hemp describes the differences between cannabis and hemp. It describes that it's the same plant. It's just a different part of the genome species. It's just a different level of THC. And it, uh, it just needs to be basic information because we have been misinformed for so many years. And the Just Say No campaigns did not work, obviously, for my generation or even this generation, and we have to be honest with kids. And I've found that the best way, regardless of how painful it is, is if you're honest with your kids, they'll open up to you. And I've had a great dialogue with both of my children, um, and I feel that giving people resources, whether we need to start at the youngest of the generations and or we also need to start at the oldest of the generations because many of those people within that spectrum, there are so many broad uses on a medical basis for cannabis um, that we want to make sure that we're informing people of correct facts. Uh, and there just was no information out there. We're lucky that schools and universities um, and institutes of higher education are just coming online. But, you know, doctors that are treating us 
in this day and age have never studied the endocannabinoid system. And it's mind boggling that we have to go back down to the most basic of information just to tell people what the plant is and what uses there are for it. Well, Chris Morewood, you're awesome, and I love your work, and uh, it was great uh, burning some rope with you recently and hanging out. Thank you so much for being on Hemp Present, and uh, we will certainly be looking for you at HempFest. Wonderful. Thanks so much. All right, Hempy Trails. Time to roll out for the people that let us Hemp Present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow. The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the board, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him pink, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Now available for pre-order through crowdfunding for just $14 plus $10 shipping. Pouches. Premium mixing and rolling pouches. Allow you to carry and prepare your herbs for consumption with discretion and ease. These stylish pouches are handcrafted using strong zips, long-wearing buffalo leather outside, and smooth, cheap skin inside. A portion of proceeds go to fund vital medical research into cannabis for ADHD. See a demo and get yours now on Indiegogo or Pouches.com. That's P-O-U-C-H-Z.com. Strainwise Consulting is the most sought-after consulting company for cannabis business applications and management contracts. We consulted on the first recreational license in the world and have had an over 95% success rate on applications submitted. The industry is growing at such an exponential rate that building a powerful and lasting cannabis business is a number one priority. Here's Strainwise's Sean Eubanks. In our first five years, we branded and supported nine medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries and a Approximately 160,000 square feet of sophisticated and efficient product cultivation. Strainwise Consulting has the experience and expertise to guide you through the process. The 2019 United States Cannabis Conference and Expo returns back to downtown Miami August 2nd and 3rd at the Hyatt Regency. Learn more on sponsorship and expo floor opportunities at usccexpo.com. Don't miss out on another jam-packed weekend of education, speed networking, powerful keynotes, a bustling expo hall, plus our can't-miss networking mega yacht event. Join us in Miami August 2nd and 3rd for the 2019 United States Cannabis Conference and Expo. Don't miss the boat. Log on to usccexpo.com and learn more today. We're back to Hemp Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong hemperer of hemp, Vivian McPeak. We're back. With today's guest on Hemp Present is the prolific writer, Amanda Chicago-Lewis, who joins me momentarily. Former Republican Speaker of the House John Boehner flips and comes to the light, stating that his thinking on cannabis has evolved. Democratic Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer files a legalization bill on 420, the international stoner holiday. Governor Jay Inslee brags on cable TV, we have the best weed in Washington. 
Neurologist and CNN medical correspondent Sanjay Gupta writes that cannabis could help manage the opioid crisis. My city of Seattle files a motion asking the court to vacate hundreds of marijuana possession victim convictions going back three decades. And the iconic comedy team Cheech and Chong jokingly complained to Stephen Colbert that pot is over. It's just not edgy anymore. These events all happened recently in the same week. A sea change is taking place in America in terms of the popular perception of cannabis. While, and this part is bittersweet, the last generations to be most affected by prohibitionist propaganda are slowly dying off. When we started the Seattle Hemp Fest in 1991, many people laughed at us. Not only are none of those people laughing today, some of them are coughing as a conversion has been taking place in terms of attitudes about the stinky green ganja. At that same time that Seattle Hemp Fest began, commercial networks and platforms were being linked together by a new technology that we know as the internet, allowing the dissemination of information to be decentralized. Suddenly, there was an explosion of sources of info, and Americans were freed from relying on a small handful of mainstream media sources for facts and opinion. Today, the word has gotten out that cannabis has amazing potential. In addition to the 25,000 practical applications of industrial hemp, euphoric cannabis can offer anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, antipsychotic, anticonvulsant, neuroprotective, anxiolytic, and anti-emetic properties. Today, many mainstream publications have actually added staff devoted to covering all things cannabis. And that leads me to today's guest. Amanda Chicago Lewis writes about cannabis and the war on drugs with an emphasis on public safety, the influence of special interests, and the ways in which the documented racial disparities of drug law enforcement are being cemented into the details of legalization. In addition to writing a bi-weekly column for Rolling Stone magazine, her work has also appeared in publications including GQ, BuzzFeed, Vice, and LA Weekly. And she's in the virtual Hemp Present studio with me right now. Welcome, Amanda, to Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. Great to be here. My pleasure. So much has been happening in the world of cannabis that it's hard to keep up and stay informed. One of the ways I stay informed is by reading your articles. Where do you gather your information from? Oh, goodness. I don't publish frequently enough for you to stay up uh, <laughs> stay up on everything that's going on by reading my articles. <laughs> but um, I think I really rely heavily on um, two different newsletters uh, that I get every day. Tom Angel's Marijuana Moment, right? And Tom is sort of the legendary and tireless cannabis activist um, who also breaks a lot of um, news and a lot of scoops, especially around what's going on with the laws. His newsletter is a must read for anyone who's involved in the marijuana industry or the movement. Um, and another newsletter called Word on the Tree, which is from a woman named Mona Zong who lives in New York. Um, and her hers is a little more, um, I think, mainstream friendly. It's uh, a couple of stories every day and then a breakdown of some stuff that's going on locally, but it's a little bit less comprehensive and therefore uh, a faster read. <laughs> Uh, and I think between those two things, uh, I know the basics of what's going on, at least according to the news. Uh, and then beyond that, it's really just one-to-one uh, -one conversations with people, um, sources all over the country in every aspect of the cannabis world who either I'm calling or I'm meeting up with um, for a drink or a sesh uh, or who are just texting me updates about what's going on with them. You know, your your piece is really zero in on the very same issues that are most important to me 
Uh, and, and Injustice Today reports that the Federal Bureau of Prisons is quietly rolling out a pair of new policies that could restrict access to books and communications for the system's nearly 200,000 prisoners. We actually heard today uh, from the concerned Jimmy Romans asking us specifically to send him Rolling Stone magazines. I thought I would mention that. Jimmy got a life Hello. sentence for cannabis. He's got a minimum of 18 more years to serve. Uh, so, so I want you to know your work's even appreciated by those incarcerated. H- how did you end up writing about everything cannabis? You know, I was sort of the right person in the right place at the right time. Um, I've always been a cannabis user. I've always felt more um, comfortable uh, using cannabis than I did with alcohol. You know, I drink too, but I think cannabis is really my main thing. Um, and then, you know, I was getting my career started in journalism in Los Angeles around 2010, 2011, um, which I think is when uh, people started to take legalization a lot more seriously. Uh, I was, you know, in the run up to recreational legalization in Colorado and Washington, of course. Um, and I was writing for LA Weekly and covering just a variety of things going on in the city. And, you know, cannabis is a big part of culture in Los Angeles. And those at LA Weekly sort of noticed that the things I was writing about cannabis you know, maybe I was a little more clued in than other people that because, you know, I was, a, you know, a daily smoker, et cetera. And, um, you know, from there, they asked me to write a column about it. I got hired to do it at other places, et cetera. But, you know, I think at first I was just like, oh, I don't even know how important this is. I was never really a big um, activist around legalization. I never really thought that was practical, you know, even though I um, was such a fan of cannabis and certainly thought it, you know, was not harmful at all. Um, but, um, you know, you could think something should be legal. That doesn't mean you believe it's going to actually happen. Uh, but once I started to really get into it, I realized there weren't a lot of voices in journalism taking the issue seriously and trying to approach it, you know, the way that, I guess, an average cannabis user would. You know, there are a lot of people who are sort of speaking on behalf of industry. There are a lot of people who are speaking as activists. There aren't a lot of people who are just saying, okay, but if you're sort of like, the average person who prefers a joint at night instead of uh, a glass of wine, then like what's best for you? Um, And I think that's a lot of what, you know, journalism is really about in general, right? Sort of like raising uh, attention around stories that might not otherwise get get told. Um, And so it just became really important to me to try to provide as much oversight as possible on the process of legalization um, in a way that would most, you know, benefit the public. Before we dive into some specific issues that you've written about, what is your overall sense of where we are today? What, what specific cannabis-related issues excite you the most, personally? Yeah, I mean, I think we're in a very messy place at the moment. Um, there are contradictions galore, Uh, that are making things incredibly difficult for anyone involved with cannabis, whether you are, you know, a patient who is struggling with PTSD or epilepsy, or, you know, whether you are a casual user who's now, you know, going to buy legal cannabis for the first time, whether you are someone who is running a business, someone who's been growing for years and years, the laws don't really make sense and the contradictions between state laws and federal laws are a huge problem. Um, So, you know, I think we're in this messy place. And at this point, I think the thing I'm watching most closely at this moment and I'm sort of obsessing about is not the Schumer thing that you mentioned at the top of the hour, 
um, which again, that, or not again, but that bill has not actually been introduced yet. He announced it on 420. There is no Schumer bill yet. Um, um, what I'm more interested in is what Mitch McConnell is doing because Mitch McConnell has a lot of power, obviously, and he is seeking to legalize hemp. And no one is really talking about the fact that his, the language in the hemp bill that's now going to get attached to the farm bill essentially is going to legalize CBD and what effect that might have on everything from, you know, the FDA's recent approval of Epidiolex to the economies in Kentucky and Colorado to potential medical research that could happen with CBD. Does this mean we're going to turn CBD into a nutraceutical? Um, you know, is this going to disincentivize legalization of whole plant cannabis that has more THC in it? Um, so that's the thing that I'm really paying a lot of attention to right now. Uh, we've got about one minute before the break, but I have seen in some states what looks to me like a preemptive strategy to legalize CBD as a way of stopping or preventing or slowing down or as an obstacle to legalizing THC. In other words, well, you've got CBD, you've got medical marijuana, what's your problem? Right. In, like, in like 30 seconds, do you think that there's a that, that, that might have a point there? Yeah, absolutely. I think CBD is so much more palatable to um, conservative folks. It really gives this sort of impression of, well, we, this is the real medicine and THC isn't medical. When, of course, we know THC does have really important medical properties as well. And the whole plant could, you know, full spectrum stuff is very important to look at. So, you know, yeah, I think that this could potentially be problematic in the long run for THC if we're going to be having this boom of hemp CBD. Amanda, you're just such an asset to the cannabis uh, world. Thank you so much for being on Cannabis Radio. We'll be following your stuff. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Now I want to get to a weekly feature here presented on CannabisRadio.com. That's the quote of the week, and here it is. Vacating charges for misdemeanor marijuana possession is a necessary step to correct the injustices of what was a failed war on drugs, which disproportionately affected communities of color in Seattle, and that is our Seattle Mayor, Jenny Durkin. That concludes this installment here present on Cannabis Radio. I want to thank Brasco, my man in the control room, all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Join me next week for some more reefer repartee and cannabis confabulation with some special hempo sapien on a journey to justice as we silence the violence, increase the peace, and promote unity in the cannabis community with impunity. Because when it comes to prohibition, you've got the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so find yours and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. Till then, my friends stay strong stand tall and toke it easy don't forget to email me at hemppresent at gmail.com the hemppresent theme song take back the plants performed by stickerbish and sung by a much younger version of myself turn up the music maestro i'm out marijuana this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. 
like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.